Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. to Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast where I, Alex, rotate between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you, and more than likely what the youth camp down the road would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. I am back after a brief hiatus, and thank you so much for tuning in. We are back talking all things ooky spooky, aka reportedly the haunted location, but before we dive into that, I need to let you know what I need distraction from this week. So, as some of you may have seen on Twitter, I was told last week, late last week, that I need to get a root canal. And basically how that all came about was during the week I was dog sitting for my brother, I got really sick like midweek where, you know, my mouth had been bugging me, but then it kind of evolved into headaches and neck pain and nausea and throwing up and just feeling like death was nearby. Like I, I thought, honestly, at one point, I was ready to start making my will because because it was really bad. So um, I ended up going to the hospital. They weren't able to diagnose me with anything. So then I had to wait to get into my dentist, which luckily they were able to get me in. And yeah, after taking x-ray, they were very delighted to tell me that (laughs) I need a root canal. So two days from when I record this, on the 26th of July, I need to get a root canal done. So I'm not looking forward to that. So keep me in your thoughts. I have been to the dentist numerous times growing up and as an adult, It's just one of those things that, you know, I've learned to come accustomed to. It's part of self-care, but doesn't mean I really like it. So keep me in your thoughts. And I think with that being said, we should talk about some paranormal activity because honestly, anything to get me to forget the fact that I'm going to have my roots taken out of my teeth and my mouth. Mm, Yeah, let's, let's, let's move on from that. As some may recall me mentioning in previous episodes, I have been extremely fortunate enough to visit Ireland. If you have the opportunity to go, do it. It's a beautiful country. I cannot recommend it enough. Filled with gorgeous scenery, great food and drinks. And if you're a spooky small town weirdo like myself, it also has a plethora of haunted locations. This week for a little spooky weird distraction, I figured it was about time we take a plane, a car and a ferry to head on back over to Ireland to discuss a notoriously haunted and historical location. That location is Spike Island and the jail that resides on the island. We'll discuss the history, get into some occult observations, and then cap off with the reported haunts. Due to potential coarse language, discussions of abuse, torture, murder, suicide, and other adult themes, listener discretion is advised. 
Laying within the waters south of Cobb, Ireland, resides the infamous Spike Island. Historians believe that the over 100-acre island may have originally started as a 6th-century Monsatic settlement founded by St. Mokuda, also known as St. Carthage. As time passed, it would supposedly gradually develop into a British military base in the 18th century, aka the British took the island and made it their own, based on my understanding of what I came across online. The British would create this big fortress, which some of the original parts of this still stand to this very day. As time passed, it would become a housing situation for criminals awaiting to be transported elsewhere, such as Australia or Bermuda. This is where the star-shaped fortress, aka future prison, would be more developed. Some sources claim that over a span of 400 years, four prisons would be built on the island in total. Supposedly, construction would take place in the 1600s, the 1850s, and in 1921 to these buildings. These buildings, prisons, I should say, would have a notoriously dark reputation, one that some say is in comparison to Alcatraz in San Francisco, California, which I'm sure we'll eventually discuss Alcatraz one of these days on the show. Because trust me, that place sounds freaky. The island would become more populated as arrests increased during the 1845 to 1849 Great Famine. During Ireland's Great Famine is when most say the island experienced more darker, sinister years. Former prison officer Liam Warner was quoted stating this in the Destination Fear episode regarding this period. Quote, starving fathers being sent to prison because during the famine they robbed a chicken to feed their family and they'd get six months or deported. End quote. Basically, people trying to survive the famine by any means necessary were often sent to Spike Island as a way of punishment. Liam, further in that Destination Sphere episode, noted that at one point the prison held up to 2,000 people, making it, potentially, one of the largest prisons in the world at the time of the famine. Adults were not the only ones being sent to Spike Island. Apparently, children would also be shipped there as well. In a direct quote from the Irish Examiner article to elaborate on this further, quote, Between the years 1847 to 1852, the prison also housed children. In fact, in 1851, there are records of the death of one David Doran, nicknamed the pint-sized burglar, a four-foot-three lad incarcerated in Spike Island at the age of 12 three years earlier, arrested for vagrancy in Waterford and dismissed as a very bad character. When he failed to fit into a regimented prison routine, he died in Spike Island Hospital in December, end quote. As some may imagine, the prison grounds became overrun with persons who were basically kind of being held there for various reasons. And again, we see during the famine that a lot of the folks that were at Spike Island were there because they were trying to survive. They were, you know, stealing food just to get through the day, through the week, try to support themselves and their family. But then on the other hand, you also had people that were incarcerated for other reasons, maybe violent reasons or, you know, just nefarious reasons, which more than likely made for a very uneasy, maybe even an uncertain or tense environment at Spike Island and within the prison walls. Speaking of things within the prison walls, let's talk about the space because realistically, things got pretty tight inside Spike Island Prison. For example, some people believe that the prison would house 40 men to a room and 50 juveniles were forced into each dormitory. 
By 1951, over 70 of Ireland's dubbed dangerous prisoners were reportedly transferred to Spike Island. These prisoners were a reported mixture of murderers, rapists, and potentially other violent criminals alike. Claims state that this transfer may have backfired as the prison was way more than likely unable to contain the level of intense violence from these individuals and the violence that might have taken place once this group showed up. Those at the island for things such as theft were now being shacked up with these more intense violent criminals, meaning more than likely most slept with one eye open. This could be seen as being validated in 1856 when three prisoners murdered a fellow inmate by the name of Warder William Reddy, who died after being hit over the head with an iron bar, according to the show Destination Fear. The murder of William reportedly instigated the construction of the punishment block on the island. Construction of the limestone punishment block reportedly wrapped up just in time for it to be opened in 1860. And in a direct quote from the Irish Examiner article regarding the punishment block, Quote, the block was set aside for its most difficult prisoners. Heavily chained from wrist to ankle, these men were dressed in black frieze and wore a black hood with two eye holes. Some of those imprisoned in the block were reportedly driven insane by the inhumane conditions. It was in the punishment block where, even though he was securely handcuffed, 26-year-old burglar Thomas Morris successfully suicided on September 15th of 1862 by hanging himself from the window bars. End quote. Further descriptions as to what took place at the punishment block include prisoners being shackled around their neck and arms to a wall. The sentences within the prison block seem to kind of run from either being for a couple of days to a couple weeks to maybe even more than a month. It sounds as though the punishment block was grounds for torture, both physically and mentally. Speaking of torture, because why not just carry on with this path, many claim that being sent to Spike Island was basically being given a life sentence, or the equivalent of a death sentence. As mentioned previously, overpopulation was a huge problem at the prison, on top of dealing with vicious prisoners and inadequate resources for those residing there. Malnutrition and poor sanitation were also an everyday issue for prisoners, causing for diseases and death to run in rapid numbers. Healthcare for prisoners was also considerably harsh for those at Spike Island. For example, and taking from the Spike Island website, between 1847 and 1883, as many as 750 inmates died under the watch of the first surgeon on the island. This surgeon was said to allegedly struggle with alcoholism and opioid addictions, which makes me wonder if that had anything to do with the deaths, or if the inadvancements of healthcare and being isolated on an island in a prison were also major factors. With all of this said, I think this also just endorses that notation of being sent to Spike Island was a life sentence because either you were going to stay there for the rest of your life or you might just lose your life going there. For those wondering, there apparently is a mass gravesite on Spike Island, which includes many unknown, undiscovered, and really untouched graves since the day they were dug up. But all things eventually come to an end. The famine finally came to an end, and so did the numbers at Spike Island. Eventually, the prison would close in 1883. However, it wouldn't stay closed and quiet for long. By 1921, the island was to hold 1,400 Irish War of Independence prisoners in a huge interment camp. This took place within the same year that Ireland secured freedom from Britain. Meanwhile, within the same year, on the island, a riot broke out.
From the Gazette October 18, 1921 article, quote, The interned prisoners in the Spike Island camp were not permitted to attend Mass on Sunday. In consequence, they smashed the huts, even wrecking the roofs, and created pandemonium. Some of the disturbers were placed in the chapel with the idea of calming them, but without effect. All the furniture in the chapel was wrecked. Soldiers were engaged today in removing debris from the camp, end quote. This was definitely not the only riot that took place on Spike Island, but we will get to another one later on. So hold your horses. Don't worry. We will get to it. According to resources, Spike Island remained under British sovereignty until July 11th of 1938. Between 1938 to 1985, the island, including its buildings, would serve as an Irish army base and navy base. It also was more of a home for some folks during this chapter as well. There was a very small community that resided on Spike Island, but from what I gathered, it was close-knit, there were a lot of social events happening, they were able to maintain this life on the island without really any fear or any concern for quite some time. However, the dark history of the island was far from over and it was on the path of repeating itself. The prison on the island would eventually reopen in 1985 and remain open until 2004, according to a CNN article. As mentioned before, things seem to be fairly kind of idealistic, let's say, especially when the smaller community on Spike Island was growing. However, as kind of hinted at, this would eventually come to a halt, and that halt began in 1985. In August of 1985, another riot broke loose at the prison. About 70 inmates, some wielding pickaxes and pitchforks, sought control of the Spike Island prison off of the Irish coast Sunday and set it fire, leaving three-fourths of the prison a smoldering ruin, police said. This quote is from the Austin American Statesman article from September 2nd of 1985. It wasn't clear to me at first as to why the riot started. As many resources I came across indicated that the August evening in question appeared to be fairly normal for Spike Island standards. The Spike Island website points out that an argument rose and escalated beyond anyone's imagination. An article for the Olympian noted that Justice Minister Michael Noonan reportedly had rejected demands for prisoner transfers to the mainland jails. Nonetheless, floorboards were ripped, fires were set in two dormitory buildings, bricks were thrown, a gasoline bomb was chucked, and even a bulldozer was eventually seized by prisoners. 40 of the 110 inmates that were in prison on Spike Island were supposedly involved, and from what I gather, no one died in result of this riot. However, we've got to remember families resided on the island along with the prisoners. They didn't reside in the prison with the prisoners, but they were still on the island and succumbed to the riots and everything that was happening around them at this time. In a direct quote from the Spike Island website to explain the encounter that the residents and the guards had to face on that August evening, quote, the prisoner officers had to flee the fortress for their own safety as the prisoners broke into the maintenance stores and armed themselves with makeshift weapons. The prison officers managed to make it to a boat, but the island residents had a scary situation when they found the prisoners between them and the island's pier. They negotiated safe passage and waited in a hut for a boat to take them to safety, end quote. Eventually, the riot would come to an end, and this actually, supposedly, caused the construction of a more formal four-person prison cell within the C-class block. As mentioned, the prison closed again in 2004. Many of the families who were residing on Spike Island reportedly left after the riot in 1985. 
Today, folks can visit Spike Island and tour around, learning about its history, the good, the bad, and the downright weird. Adults can visit Spike Island for 23 euros, which is about $30 Canadian or $23.41 USD. The island website states that the visits can normally last up to three and a half hours. This time frame apparently includes the ferry journey, which is about 10 minutes each way, and a guided tour of approximately 30 to 40 minutes, time to use the cafe, gift shops, and time to explore their museums. Now, before we get into the occult observations and the reported haunts of this location, I did want to talk about three individuals who reportedly spent time at the Spike Island prison, just so we have an idea of who once called this place their home, or perhaps who called this place their own hell on earth. The first prisoner I want to chat about is that of James Gray, also known as Jack in the Box. Born in Manchester, James was known as a thief. He did most of his stealing via trains. So basically what he did was he would design these special trunks and he would put air holes in these trunks. He would also put springs so that he could, once in the trunk, get out from inside the trunk. And he would have his friends basically ship him from Liverpool to places such as Dublin or Cork, Ireland. And on these train trips, he would at some point get out of the trunk, rob the other trunks of their precious items, get back in his trunk, and then, you know, he'd be in a different city and just do it all over again. Hence where the kind of cute-ish nickname Jack in the Box came from. The ruse didn't last long for James as he would be eventually arrested and sentenced sometime in, I believe, 1856, and he was sent to Spike Island for four years. Now, as far as my understanding, James did serve all four years, and outside of Spike Island, not really much is known or documented about James. I find this kind of ironic because this is a man who put himself in a small box to steal, and then he was put into a probable small cell because he stole. No matter what, this man was in very tight quarters. Anyways, moving on from Mr. Jack in the Box, I want to talk about John Mitchell. So, leading member of the Young Ireland and the Irish Confederation movements, John was reportedly born in County Derry in 1815. John would be known to critique the way that the British handled Ireland, especially when it came to the whole famine situation. Basically, from my understanding, John, among probable others, felt as if Britain had neglected Ireland during the famine. After a beef was started with the London's Punch magazine, John would take to the newspapers with his concerns pertaining to how the British were handling Ireland. Think of this kind of on the same wavelength as maybe somebody calling somebody else out on Instagram Live or Twitter. His work sold out immediately, in which, of course, it landed in the hands of those in the current power, aka the British. So think of it as they saw his subtweet. Except, you know, he basically tagged them in it. According to the Spike Island website, the British government wanted to silence John, which they did this by passing the 1848 Treason Felony Act, which sought to treat treason as a common crime. Even though today we might look at that as being, you know, freedom of speech, back then it was considered treason because he was going against his country in their eyes. And to be honest, they probably just wanted to find any reason to get him to stop writing. John would be arrested and tried in Dublin for this and later sentenced to 14 years. He would then spend three days at the Spike Island prison before going to Australia in 1850. During his time traveling, John reportedly began to write in his diary daily of his experience 
experiences from Dublin and Spike Island to Australia. The diary entries would shine a light on the considered dark conditions at Spike Island Prison. These shocking revelations made by John called for a more reform-based incarceration system, which you know the situation's bad when someone only spends like three days there and they want to change the entire system based on that three-day experience. John became an inspiration for freedom, change, and, well, you guessed it, reform. Further directly referencing the island's website, the fort on Spike Island was renamed from Fort Westmoreland to Fort Mitchell in his honor in 1951. Now moving on to the last prisoner that I want to talk about in this episode. So this prisoner's name is Martin Cahill. So Martin was dubbed as an Irish crime lord, and he was born in northern Dublin in 1949. Born into a family of 12 children, Martin reportedly started a life of crime at a very young age. Reports claim that Martin stole food as a school-age boy in order to feed his family, and further this escalated to home burglaries. Martin continued to become known as a criminal thief, from stealing food to major painting heists. Some saw Martin as a Robin Hood figure, stealing from the rich to give to the poor, while others, such as officials, kind of saw him as a moving target. Martin, being said target, would eventually be caught and sent to Spike Island to serve four months in 1988. He would be released, and in 1994, he would actually be assassinated by a pair of men on a motorcycle that stopped beside him at a traffic light. Supposedly, the passengers shot him at point-blank range, according to the Spike Island website. And maybe someday I might cover more Maura Martin, but that's just a little tidbit for today's episode. Now let's get into some occult observations. So occult observations is a fun little segment I like to do here anytime we cover a specific location, whether it's paranormal or just in general. And basically what I do is I read the reviews, all the good, the bad, and the downright weird that I find online. So as always, I'll try and read two negative reviews and two positive reviews, starting with the negative so we can end on a positive note. Let's get into the negative. The first negative review is a 105 star review on TripAdvisor by user Sue H. Now Sue writes, too expensive. Don't go too expensive. And the tour guide, painful boring. She got all of her history wrong. Stay away rip of Ireland. End of review. Now you can't see it because obviously I'm reading this review to you, but they use so many emojis and that's why I picked it because I love a good emoji review. I love when people put emojis A in the wrong place, which Sue H did. For example, she put two big smiley faces after don't go to. Like she put don't go to, big smiley face emoji, big smiley face emoji, expensive. I don't know why. I don't know why it got to me, but it did. And be just the overuse of emojis. I don't know. Just for me, it's a chef's kiss. But uh, unfortunately, Sue H did not find Spike Island a chef's kiss. The next negative review also didn't find Spike Island a chef's kiss. And they actually gave it a one out of five star on TripAdvisor. And the user's name is Sarah B. Sarah B writes, coffee shop couldn't believe went to the coffee shop with eight of us and the girl ignorantly told us the coffee machine was turned off she could which was spelled c-u-d give us a decaf that was it you would think with a sale of food and drink for eight people she would have had turned it back on an hour to waste now with no hot drink to warm up end of review. Now, I'm going to back Sarah up. There's nothing worse than when you go to a coffee shop and they flat out say, we don't have coffee. I've never had this experience before because, you know, maybe I'm blessed. Just never had this experience before, but 
the girl did uh, to be fair the girl did offer you decaf which is still a warm drink so i don't i, I don't know sarah maybe you were withdrawing from caffeine and i feel for you but in the same sense was it really worth that review was it Anyways, let's get into the positive reviews now. So our first positive review is by user Niam M, and this is from TripAdvisor, and this is a four out of five star review. And the review reads, After Dark. My partner and I attended an After Dark tour last night led by John Flynn. Stevie Wonder could see that John has an unwavering passion for this island. He spoke of different elements that concern the history of the island. His research and depth of knowledge is very obvious, as is the hunger to know more. For this reason, I was keen to hang on to his every word, as Spike Island is a fascinating place with a lot of stories to be heard. Unfortunately, I was in what felt to be a large group, which included two small groups of ladies who were a bit giddy. Sometimes it was hard to hear. When exploring the cells, I spent more time avoiding bumping into people, and because of the numbers, I felt a quick glance and moved on to let the next person see would have to suffice. There are articles, etc. on the walls, which I would have loved to have examined more thoroughly, but felt I didn't have the time. I would love to go back in a less time-poor and less congested tour and learn more about the island. It felt more like a ghost-hunting expedition than a delve into history, but I think this was down to what the majority of the crowd were seeking. It was not a reflection of the tour guide. I really enjoyed the boat ride too. End of review. As someone who has done kind of like a big tour of a reportedly haunted place, I mean, I went to Rolling Hills with Christy and my our friend Maggie. I understand where this person's coming from. Sometimes going in a big group to a haunted location can kind of take away from the experience because you have people that are not taking it seriously or there's just not enough space for everybody there. So I get it. And I think that's kind of a fair review, to be honest, but that's just me. Anyways, let's get on to the last review for Occult Observations. Okay, so the last positive review is by user Carrie Kalin, and this was found on TripAdvisor, and Carrie Kalin gave five out of five stars. They wrote, fantastic, spooky, and a great day out. What a fantastic day trip. Booked my trip outline, great value for my family of six. Was greeted at the pier in Cobb by the really friendly crew. Had a scenic ferry ride across to the island. Was met by by tour guide John Flynn, who delivered a top-class, extremely interesting factual and historical tour of the island. Loved hearing about Ireland's Saint Little Nellie of God, who lived in the island family quarters as her dad was a prison guard. I didn't come across that in my research. Maybe I'll have to circle back to that at some point. Anyways, back to the review. My family and I went off and explored all the building and I would not like to be there at nighttime because it's definitely haunted. Heard some knocking in one of the cells. Really spooky? Question mark, question mark, question mark. But we were all brave during the day, shrugged it off and toured the rest of the island. What can I say about this place? It is a total gem. If you haven't visited the island, you are missing out on one of Ireland's most fabulous tourist attractions. We'll definitely be going back again soon. Soon. End of review. So there is one thing I want to take away from all these reviews is that if you have John Flynn as your tour guide, you're basically set for a great tour. <laughs> no, but really, I think this would be a really cool spot to visit. And with the mention of some paranormal activity, I think it's finally time we get into the haunts of this location. For today's distraction, one of my pieces of research was watching Destination Fear. I know how awful. It was such a struggle for me. 
I'm just kidding. I love that show. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to first talk about what the crew from Destination Fear covered in their episode, like what they experienced, and then talk about other miscellaneous haunts reported at Spike Island that I found online. So as a reminder, Destination Fear follows paranormal investigators Dakota, Chelsea, Alex, and Tanner. As mentioned, I quite like this show, to be honest, and apparently they're coming back for a fourth season sometime in 2022. Regardless, the Destination Fear crew went to Spike Island for their final episode of season three. In their episode, they indicated the most haunted areas of the jail were the tunnels under Bastion 3, which were the original solitary confinement cells, AB Block, which are the more modern former holding cells from when the prison was reopened in the 1980s, and of course, without any doubt, the punishment block. Now here's a breakdown of all the ooky spookiness that went down in the episode. So first and foremost, random temperature changes were documented in particular when Alex and Tanner were in the AB block and using the REM pod. The gang also heard miscellaneous gunshot and cannon sounds outside of the buildings, even though there was nobody else apparently on the island. The crew did try to go outside to figure out, okay, where are these noises coming from? What's going on? In which they weren't able to debunk or really figure out where these noises were coming from. And you could clearly hear these sounds in the video, which is spooky to me. The gang also captured weird, loud rumbling from above them when they were in the tunnels, which are underground, of course, because there's always an underground tunnel in a super haunted place. Once again, they weren't able to figure out the cause of this noise from above them. As some may know, the group stays overnight in the haunted location they are investigating in which they try to sleep alone in various places within said spot. For this investigation, instead of given flashlights, they were given candles, which adds an extra layer of just tenseness, in my opinion. I mean, I get it. Why not take your spooky level up to 11? But who? you could not catch me doing that at all. Or if you would catch me doing it, it's because I'm probably getting a lot of money to do it. So captured on tape was Chelsea's candle, which she was staying alone in the punishment block, randomly going out just after 4 a.m. Now, according to Chelsea, there was no breeze and no reason why the candle should have randomly gone out on its own. It almost went out in a way that if someone licked their fingers and touched the flame to kind of put it out, like that method, which, ew kind of makes you wonder, okay, was it a faulty candle? Was it the spirit? It's it's really hard to say, but it went out and that's got to be extra spooky, especially at 4 a.m. Alex's candle and infrared light on his camera also go out at the same time about an hour after Chelsea's candle went out. Dakota and Chelsea also suffered from walkie-talkie audio distortions when trying to communicate with one another. And later on, Dakota, who is in the AB block, randomly hears loud bangs from one of the closed cells nearby him. Things get even more more weird for Dakota when he hears and captures on video a door opening and closing on its own from down the hall. Needless to say, this episode was very spooky and it definitely was kind of like a nice cherry on top, I think, to their season. So that's kind of it in terms of what they captured at Spike Island. Now let's get into the other reported haunts. According to the Irish Examiner website, prison guards from the 1980s reported prisoners used to complain of a black entity visiting their cells by night. This entity may have been caught in a 2018 photograph by visitor Louise Bynan. Also, sincere apology, Louise, if I'm mispronouncing your last name. You know, if you listen to previous episodes and just even look at my last name, last names are hard. But 
My sincere apologies. In the photo, which I will share on the Weird Distraction social media accounts, shows what appears to be a distinguishable human-shaped figure seemingly carrying something within an empty cell block. To me, it almost looks like a guard who is startled to see someone out of the cells. But let me know what you think. Does it look like that to you or does it look like something completely different? Comment on today's episode wherever you find the episode post and let me know. Now, other paranormal reports from Spike Island include high EMF readings in the former jail cells and in the corridors where there was no source of electricity. There have been accounts of doors slamming on cue or just randomly because, you know, we love a we love a stunt. Uh, large shadow figures have been reported being seen through A and B blocks, witnesses claiming to see mysterious lights with no explanation or reasoning, so I'm assuming like orbs or just random balls of light. There have also been reports of disembodied voices such as hearing what sounds to be people talking to reports of people hearing whistling from nowhere. And I hate a whistle. I, I, I just hate a disembodied whistle because honestly... I personally cannot whistle. I, I'm i just, you know, spilling all my secrets here. I can't whistle. So the fact that there are spirits that are able to whistle in the afterlife, I mean, stop showing off. What are you trying to prove? Okay. Anyways, there have been reports of people hearing chains being dragged in the tunnel area under the Bastion 3 unit. According to the works by Darren Mann on the website Paranormal Database, there have been reports of people seeing what appears to be a white, misty female form seen around the island. I'm not sure who this is per se, but I feel as though this wouldn't be a haunted location without some, you know, reported misty white female apparition roaming around around. I feel like that's a thing that you automatically get when you're a haunted location. Like it could have nothing to do with the history of the location, but the second it's haunted, there's a white female apparition just roaming around. Further from Darren's website, there have also been reports of a phantom soldier and this phantom soldier apparently is kind of missing his eyes. Supposedly, he has been described with having two black holes instead of eyes, which that right there would make me shit my pants. I'm not gonna lie. And finally, people have also reported feeling an increased sense of anxiety, tension, and feeling as if you're being followed or stared at by an unseen force, which I mean, to be honest, I feel that on a regular basis especially when I'm at work. But you know what? I don't doubt it. It's a place where there is a lot of maybe dark energy still being held there. You know, it's a dark history. I get it. I wouldn't be surprised too if people all of a sudden start feeling anxious for no reason. Now to summarize this week's Weird Distraction. So like many of the haunted places discussed here on Weird Distractions, Spike Island is definitely on my spooky bucket travel list. Not only for the reported haunts, but just to see the kind of conditions that inmates actually lived in in person and to get a firsthand experience of the place. That in Ireland is quite beautiful. So that's another reason why I wanna go check this place out. Nonetheless, it's probably came to no surprise to listeners that Spike Island, especially the jail locations, would be reportedly plagued by ghosts. Given its history, some of its buildings being made with limestone, which is allegedly known to be a conduit, it seems like a perfect storm to manifest some phenomena. But once again, what do you think? Do you think it's as haunted as people reportedly claim? Let me know in today's social media posts over on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed this week's weird distraction. I'm not gonna lie, it took me three attempts to record this full episode, so I hope it comes out okay. The final time I'm recording this is the day I just got a root canal done, so hopefully it comes out just fine. Oh, and for those wondering, all my resources will be listed in today's show notes. I would say them off as I usually tell typically have done in the past. However, to be honest, my mouth's a little bit hurting and your girl needs a bath. So feel free to check out the show notes.
If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming the show on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review. This helps the show out for free by letting others know that it's worth listening to. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an update is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and TikTok. If you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month, why not join one of the two tiers over on Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content such as bonus episodes and series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early access to the regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to patreon.com slash Podcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Sissy, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you all and appreciate your ongoing support of Weird Distractions. If you're unable to support the show on a monthly basis, but still want to support it maybe as a one-time donation, check out the show's merch over on Redbubble or sign up for a one-time donation over on Buy Me A Coffee. Lastly, I want to hear from you. As some longtime listeners may recall, Christy and I released two listener story-based episodes called Listener Distractions. I'd love to keep doing this series and hear all of your weird tales of ghostly encounters, unexplainable events, and too close to home true crime stories. You can email me your tales at weirddistractionspodcast@outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections that need to be made after today's episode, let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.